Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. Big show for you today. Not a lot of news. Probably the biggest news this week is that Shane Waldron, the Seahawks' new offensive coordinator, had his introductory press conference via Zoom earlier this week. But I know Mookie Alexander, he has that covered up at fieldgoals.com. And when I have the opportunity to interview one of my favorite Seahawks players of all time, I'm going to do that instead of covering a press conference. So let's get right to it. Joining me on the show today is the host of Believe in Seahawks on the Believe Podcast Network. He's a former three-time Pro Bowl linebacker, a second-round pick for the Seahawks out of USC in 2005. He played six years with the team. He's also a member of the Seahawks' 35th anniversary team. He's the co-founder of Zone in CBD. He's Lofa Tatupu. Back on the show once again. Lofa, appreciate you coming back. Yeah, my man. Thanks for having me as always. So it's been a couple weeks now, now that you've had some time to get some of the emotions out of the end of the Seahawks season. How, how are you feeling about this past season for Seattle? Uh, I think the same way a lot of the fans are, just kind of like what happened. Um, when you go 12-4, and four, I mean, it's one of the best seasons we've had record-wise in a while. Win the West, first time we've done it since 16, I believe. And it's just uh, to have that first, that early exit, which we've never, never had, was, was tough to uh, come to terms with. But, you know, it's um, there's a lot of great things. There's a lot of positive points to the way we finished the season as a defense um, because that's what, what I was really worried about uh, the first time we talked was like, man, we got to get this thing going in the right direction. And they did. They got Dunlap. You know, they got healthy at the, in the secondary. DJ Reed was incredible. So a lot of positives going into next season. And, um, yeah, and, you know, just some, a couple unknowns. We do have to get some guys signed in the contract here. Uh, whether it's Shaq, Carson, KJ, I really want KJ back. I mean, and now I'm a little biased to <laughs> linebackers, <laughs> but um, kid's a stud. He's he's been everything we could have hoped for since we drafted him. Well, and let's talk a little bit about KJ because you know going into the season, there were a lot of people saying, "Oh, you know that contract number for KJ, it's way too high." You know, especially for his his age. You know, are are the Seahawks going to be able to get that kind of production out of him that we've seen from past years? And then we went out and saw what might have been KJ's best season as a Seahawk. It was, I think, his second best season. His best season was last year um, when he statistically had career highs in tackles and interceptions. And so I didn't understand. I knew he did have that offseason procedure for the shoulder, and maybe that had people wondering, okay, what's the future hold? But, I mean, he, KJ Wright, does ne- he never gets the credit he deserves. He's one of the few guys – that I've ever seen, he can play all three, but he can do it well. You're not going to miss a beat. And even just this year, going into year 10, we draft Brooks in the first round, and seemingly that's what everybody thought, oh, they're going to replace KJ with him. They move KJ to Sam, and you don't hear any complaining. He just goes over there and just, you know, starts knocking fools out and uh, getting some more interceptions. So, you know, that's a true leader that, you know, selfless and goes out there, you know, for his guys and, that's why I want him back. And I know you, we saw how much Bobby, you know, went to bat for him because, man, the two of those, those we're talking about the two best linebackers in franchise history. It's going to end one and two. And then, you know, and Bobby and KJ. And I want to see them stay together for at least a year or two more. And that's some big praise coming from one of the best linebackers in, in Seahawks franchise history. Numbers don't lie, my man. And they have put up some ridiculous numbers over their years and, um, you know, couldn't, 
I got the honor to, to, to coach them, you know, be the assistant coach in 15 and 16. And man, those guys, they're, they're pro in every, every sense of the word, man. It's, it's incredible. And then also off the field, you know, how amazing they are in the community. That's it just makes it that much better. Yeah. KJ is one of those guys. I would not be upset if, if he were back next year, just because you know, just that history uh, that he has with the team. And I, I start to think about, him being, you know, on the older side, especially for a linebacker. But then I look at a guy like Thomas Davis, who came out in your draft class, Lofa, and yeah. still played for Washington this past season. Yeah, and he didn't. Thomas didn't look bad either. And I mean, I think, you know, not competing for that championship when you get to our age, at 37, 38, what, what me and Thomas are, that can weigh on somebody. And that's probably why he's. Because, you know, I really think he could still help the ball club next year. He, You know, he's still fast. He was always one of the fastest coming in, changing from safety to linebacker. It's been incredible to see what he's done. But it's funny you mentioned him because, you know, it's like him and him and Luke and, and Bobby and KJ, those two are always duking it out for best duo in the uh, in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, just where Bobby is right now, too. Uh, you know, another all-pro season for Bobby. For what he's done over his career, he's getting into the territory now of, first ballot Hall of Famer. That's, in my opinion, I think even last year, he kind of cemented with, I think, his seventh Pro Bowl. That's the territory where you're going to be a Hall of Famer, in my opinion, um, especially with his numbers. His numbers are really great across the board. But when you stack on, now you're going like into his fifth and sixth All-Pro, and this is where it's like, okay, all that's left to do is work on first ballot. I mean, he's, in my opinion – and I, you know, I'm very hard on linebackers. I really am. But in my opinion, he's he's working towards first ballot, and I think he already has it. It's up for everybody else to catch up to to what I to what I see out there. <laughs> well, I think he should have it. I, I think I was looking at the the linebackers who have had All Pro, um, just you know, throughout NFL history. Well, in modern time, Super Bowl era, the guys at linebacker who have had more All Pro are Mike Singletary, LT. And gosh, there was one other one. Ray Lewis. That's that was the third one. Ray Lewis, Singletary, and and LT. Yeah, I know Ray and and uh, Junior up there like around thirteen or fourteen Pro Bowls, which is insane. Um, but yeah, all pros. I'm not I'm not sure of that list. So going back to the playoffs, the the last time that the Seahawks actually lost a playoff home game was the season right before you were drafted, and. Man, I don't know I, if I'm still trying to look for positive takeaways after the season or what, but I, just the fact that that hasn't happened for a long time. But I, I, and I can't even ask you, you never really experienced that, that one and done situation in the playoffs. What do you think the guys on the team are going through? I think they're all a little shocked because, I mean, we're talking about guys. They've never experienced it either. Not, not these guys. Um, there's no one on that team. Well, Dallas, well, not at home, but they lost in Dallas two, two years ago. Oh, yeah, true. Okay. So it's, um, but when you put together the season the way they did 12 and four, they get their banner for the first time in five, four or five years. It's like, okay, you know, we get a home game. And to the Rams, who I think it's the circumstances around it that a backup QB was first in, he gets knocked out. And all week I was saying, I'd rather see Goff than the backup, uh, Wofford, because Walker could use his legs. Right. And Goff was just coming off 12 days off a broken thumb. You know, how well could he throw the ball? Well, 
he threw it well enough, nine of 16, where he made like two big plays down the field to cup and maybe Woods the other one. And that was enough with that 150 yards by, by Akers. And that's really, that's what I said. We didn't see Akers the first matchup. We didn't see enough of him in the second matchup. He was out of the game when we, when we beat them at home. And so um, that was all week leading up to that game. I was like, just keep an eye on this kid, especially with the quarterback situation, the way it is, they're probably going to lean on him. And I was, I was shocked that they were able to run the ball on us the way they were when the giants hit us and they creased us. They had some, some interesting runs. They had some runs that were very similar out of single back formation, meaning there's only one back back there, but now they were doing misdirections, counters, powers, and gap trap pulling guys. Now that's, that's hard because if you go downhill, you could get picked off. And if you don't make that play in the backfield, it's out the door as we saw twice on Gallman's runs. Well, you know, we went to to against uh, Cam. We switched up fronts between the, the the five down linemen, almost like count KJ as a lineman. We had the four on the front and then KJ on the line. It's called the stick front to try to, you know, shore up. But it, it almost looked like it made us a little softer than having gap control and four down, four four behind, and, you know, and shooting gaps, which we, we've been really successful doing over the years with our linebackers and secondary. So, I was just surprised by that aspect that they able to come in here and run the ball effectively on us. And, um, and I know that had to eat at the guys too, who take a lot of pride. They were one of the top run defenses all year. Um, you know, and so it, it had to be a tough way to go out. I know if, if you would have told me going into that game, that if there's one thing that I was going to be sure about is that they would be able to stop the run, obviously the concern about the quarterback, but you know, that uh, he went out early and, and then they still were able to run the ball and, yeah, it, it was definitely a disappointing end to the season. But now the Seahawks go out, Lofa, and, and they get the passing game coordinator from the Rams. And so now maybe the Seahawks are hoping to bring some of that similar style that you see from the Rams offense to the Seahawks offense. What is that switch going to be like for this team now through this offseason? Huh, well, we'll see how, how they play it. I mean, I know Pete was pretty adamant when, when they did um... – when Shadi left, they were saying, hey, I want to get back to running the ball. So uh, I think they brought their run game coordinator up too with, uh, with uh, Waldron. Is that right? Yeah. The, it was the, what, the assistant offensive line coach? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we'll see how they want to play. But, uh, you know, this, this empire, if you will, was built on defense and running the ball. Russ has always had phenomenal years. I'm not discrediting what, you know, our quarterback does. It's, he's one of the best in the league, but it's, it's really those two pillars really what have maintained this, the level of success for all these years. And Russ was just like the cherry on the top. Like, man, this guy, he could be, and we saw flashes over the first six games, a couple 400 yard passing games. And um, for whatever reason, if teams adjusted and we didn't adjust well enough to, to, you know, get more of those performances, it's tough, but he did go a stretch without a running game where Carson, Hyde, and, I mean, we, we brought in Alice Collins off the street, and and um, even Penny wasn't ready to come back from pup list. So it's a, it's a tall task, you know, to to put the team on your shoulders, you know, offensively, especially when they start taking away. They put, a you know, the safety over the top of both of your number one and two in Lockett and DK Metcalf. Yeah, I expected to see maybe a little more of the tight ends. We, we had four or five of them that – have started games all across the league. And that's where I thought that was an area where maybe we were lacking a little bit in terms of attacking a mismatch. You know, some guys that are 6'5", 6'6", 
And they, they got a smaller 5'11", six-foot linebacker out there. Those are definite mismatches that you're going to see this week with Gronk and Kelsey in, in the Super Bowl. So what do you attribute that to, though? Because I know Pete Carroll knows how to attack a team that's playing two deep safeties. I know Russell Wilson knows how to. Brian Schottenheimer, he knows how to. He's been in the league a long time. Why weren't they able to execute that down the stretch? Uh, it could be a combination of things. Um, the Rams, I will remind everybody, was the number one defense. Right. That means there was nobody better than them. But, I mean, there's <laughs> the game against the Giants. There is the game against Washington. You know, the, we saw kind of the one offensive breakout performance against the Jets, but it was the Jets. And I, I just felt like down the stretch there were other teams where they could have at least should have had the opportunity of, of scoring more points and kind of getting the offense back going again down that stretch. All three of those teams you named have the best defensive lines in the league. And that is always a difference in the trenches is can this, you know, can these guys get after the quarterback? There was a couple, you know, times where Russ held on to the ball too long, um, including the Buffalo game. But then there's also breakdowns because Washington's got four, five uh, first, you know, top 10 picks, sure. uh, Kerrigan, Sweat, Payne. Um, and there's two other, um, I forget who they all hosted, uh, two other. Yeah. It was and the dude it, that they just got from the last year's draft. Uh, Chase Young. Yeah. yeah. Probably the best one. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, it was so much that Kerrigan didn't even really step field on the play other than third down. I was hoping we were going to get him and Dunlop in, in the trade deadline. But then you look at the Giants and, um, you know, they have Lawrence in the middle. They, they have a bunch of young, tough, uh, Leonard Williams. He's in there. They got some guys that can just straight up get after the quarterback and make your day a nightmare. And so they were able to do that. And then again, we come back to the Rams and it's just, you have, whether you have no time or you have Jalen Ramsey out there, you know, locking people up, it's tough and you have to be able to get that run game. So what I was most surprised was why we didn't lean. We started to do it towards the end of the season, but then, you know, we gave him a little rest right before the playoffs. I thought Carson was going to get 25, 30 touches and that's the one guy we haven't had for playoffs the last two years, two times we've been in the playoffs. He's been hurt both times. And so when we finally got him to the playoffs, I was like, yeah, just we're going to feed this guy just like we did Marshawn back in the day. And just we're going to see him wear down a team and see how long they want to try hitting this guy. And, you know, odds are in our favor at that point. And what we saw against the Rams is when – they ran it. They ran it very effectively. It just it wasn't quite maybe the volume that they really needed to beat that Rams team. So I don't know what to attribute that to, if that's kind of more of the emphasis early on when they were going more passing heavy or and I, I suppose that's why it really did lead Pete to talk about wanting to run the ball more toward the end of the season. But it, it's not like it wasn't effective. They just had to do it. Yeah. And I think another thing that goes you know hand in hand with that is back when we, you know, we run a lot from the shotgun. And I've never been a fan of that. You know, I know you're a linebacker. You don't know. Oh, yeah, you go you go back to the home. That's that was Mike Holmgren's, uh, you know, big thing, too. He he hates running out of shotgun. Well, the, my thing is, if you're going to run out of shotgun, Russ has to keep that ball, you know, at least a couple times a game to keep them honest. Otherwise, oh, it's just another zone read. It's just another. And um, I don't think we really do power anymore, which you potty and, and some of those guys. I'd love to see, you know, Damian Lewis get in on the power because he's big, strong, and he can move. Um, incredible job of that guy coming to the league as a rookie and then playing the Jets game at center when uh, poaching went down. It was yeah. incredible. Um, but that's rare that you see a guy being able to not just play well as a rookie, but he also played center um, for you in a, in a game. It's, it didn't have a bad snap. It's incredible. But um, 
Yeah, my whole thing about that is like if you're going to rock with a shotgun, you have to keep it a couple times to keep those ends honest. And now you have those, you have those, you know, RPOs off of that. But if you don't, and they see any kind of handoff motion, they're just crashing. And that's just really what's happened. So there's a note from Lofa Tatupu for Shane Waldron in 2021. Let's see if we can get Russell Wilson playing from under center more. And that's just another way to help improve the run game and play action. But I didn't bring on a former Seahawks linebacker and also a former coach on the defense to just come on and talk about offense. Let's flip it over to the other side of the ball and talk defense coming up next. Retired Seahawks All-Pro linebacker Lofa Tatupu joining the show. He's the co-founder of Zone In CBD, and we're going to get into what he's got going with that here soon. But before we get there, let's talk defense. Pete was asked about the defense for the Seahawks, especially the second half of the season. They were outstanding. And the question that he was asked was, did it get better or did they just play offenses that were less dynamic? And Pete said that they actually got better. Does does that line up with what you saw? It's a combination of both. And, I mean, even though those offenses weren't good, we were almost – I think we were first or second in the last seven weeks uh, in terms of sacks generated. So they dropped back, and whether the game was tight or, or not, we got there and we got to the quarterback. So of course, like I said, everybody getting healthy at the right time. You know, Jamal was out for about a month, maybe five weeks um, in the middle of the season. Shaq with the concussion in the hamstring, another five weeks. And – we saw the emergence of, uh, of Reed, man. I, that kid is awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we lucked out with that. I don't want to say lucked out. This is where John beats a lot of other GMs. He'll take somebody that, you know, I don't, I'm not so sure he wasn't good enough to start with that Niners team. And uh, but he he took him off their practice squad and they, you know, plugged him in and the kid's been unbelievable. That's that's why the scouting and John, that whole department, they they beat everybody there. And then even, you know, take a step further at the deadline. When nothing really was working for us on defense, he went out and got Dunlap. And Dunlap won the the Redskins and the Arizona game at home, uh, or the Washington team, sorry, and the and the uh, Arizona game at home with uh, you know, the final sack. Uh, one, he bulldozed the guy. The other guy, he, he looped underneath because he saw Contain was, was there. So that's a guy, I don't know how, you know, Cincinnati let, let him go because he's put up 80, was it 85 sacks for them in – and I had to go back and look at this stat. I was like, wait a minute. He's, he's been with them since 2008-9, and he's had 85 sacks from that deep tackle DN position. He's played both. That's Those are incredible. We're talking he's 15 sacks away from the, the century mark, and that's usually when you start talking about Hall of Fame again. Right. So that was unbelievable. When some of the young guys really stepped up. Um, Alton Robinson, he showed some really good things. Uh, Rasheem got healthy. Puna Ford, man, unbelievable at pushing the pocket and letting those guys get there. And, um, yeah, man, I'm really encouraged what I saw by the front seven. Um, and Bobby played great again, him and KJ. And Brooks started to really come on. I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing out of him. You know, um, it's, the, it's the first time we've taken a linebacker that high, you know, in uh, the Pete and uh, John era. So I hope for what, what he can do because you see how KJ and, and Bobby have turned out. And those are second and a fourth. So – they must have seen something really special in this kid. And um, I've liked what I've seen in terms of his instincts and his aggressive nature. He really looks more like a Mike to me. And um, But we have the best Mike in, in, the, in the game. So. Yeah, Bobby, can, he can hold on to that spot for a little while. Let uh... <laughs> Yeah, I'm just saying, but when I, when I watched this film, yeah. 
who looked more like a middle linebacker, a true middle, than, than a Will, which is where we're using him right now. And I assumed, I thought they were going to, I didn't think KJ was going anywhere, unlike everybody else. I thought KJ was going to stay at Will. We were going to do the same defense with Kendricks because Brooks looks like maybe a little bigger, stronger. I don't know if he's faster. He looks fast. Uh, but he looks like a, a newer version of Kendricks in terms of a younger, uh, healthier Kendricks. Yeah, so we we heard where you came out in terms of bringing KJ back, and you have the emergence of Reed. You have Shaquille Griffin, who's up for a new deal this offseason. I mean, it, it's hard to, you know, with Chris Carson also looking for a new deal, you got Griffin, you got KJ. You can't necessarily pay everybody. Maybe you can. It seems like the salary cap is magic sometimes. But I guess one of the things with the corners and, and the secondary in general is, it seems like Pete and John have been able to find guys to kind of plug in in those spots. But gosh, it would be nice to go into next year, too, knowing that really uh, in terms of defense, there's not a whole lot of questions if you bring back both KJ and Shaq, because then you're bringing back just about everybody. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, if you're asking what I would do, it's it's tough. You know, I don't think we especially I think COVID and, you know, the league is – the cap's going to be reduced next year, I believe, because of where the revenue stands. But I don't know if we have enough money to sign Shaq back. As much as I love him and I want him back, I I think someone's going to throw a lot of cash at him, you know, because, you know, a lockdown corner is hard to find. Unless, of course, you're John and Pete and you found a you Sherman. You get DJ Reed just, you know, you, from yeah, you get a DJ Reed. You get a Sherman in the fifth. You get, you know – Brandon Browner is undrafted free agent or free agent. <laughs> so um, I'm not worried so much about the position, especially with the disconnect that we had for, for most of the season um, in the, in the back end. Uh, but I don't, I don't know if we can afford him. KJ. I don't think it's going to take, I don't think anybody's going to throw a insane amount of money at him right now um, because of what you mentioned, 10 years in the league, he's still production is at all time high, but I think you could get him back for a friendly deal that's incentive laden. So he earns with with every start, you know, the money that he should be paid, you know, up around eight to ten million, which I know it sounds like a lot, but for a starting linebacker, that's not a lot these days. As crazy as it is for me to say that. <laughs> um and then Chris Carson, I look, I love Chris, but it's the fact that you have to put him on a pitch count, you can't, you know, overuse him. Um, injury prone. Look, if anybody knows about injury prone, (laughs) (laughs) so I'm not, you know, I'm not saying anything that, you know, hasn't been said about me. It's just, you got to sign him to a deal that, okay, if you make it to game day, yeah, you get paid whatever you want, but it's got to be prorated to, to what he shows up for because it's too hard. He's too much of that life force as an offense. And when he's not there, it all falls on Russ and um, you know, it's, it's hard. So with that money, could you get another old lineman, maybe another D lineman. And now with that pass rush and that rush attack, it's not as glaring to have, you know, a new running back in a new corner. I think so. And I think that's probably what's best for, for the organization moving forward. Well, I want to go back now, Lofa, because it is the week leading up to Super Bowl 55. And it's hard to believe, man, that it's been 15 years now since Super Bowl 40. So around this time every year, do you start to think back as to what you're doing, you know, at this point, kind of leading up to that game? 
Nah, let's go to Super Bowl 48. Where, where the Hawks were- <laughs> where, okay, where were you for Super Bowl 48? Uh, I was in Costa Rica with some friends. Really? And I, and I watched I watched the Hawks just decimate, you know, from the first snap over the head. Um, it was incredible. You know what I mean, and that defense doesn't get talked about nearly enough, man. You know, we always always hear about the Ravens, always hear about the Buccaneers and the 85 Bears. We don't hear about the 13 Seahawks because that was – a squad and a half and you hold I mean at the time the Broncos had one of the most prolific offenses the, the league's ever seen breaking all sorts of records points yards they got held to eight points I mean on the biggest stage so well and the crazy thing about that too Malcolm Smith was what the fourth linebacker on that squad and he was the MVP of the the game and you so you see <laughs> That's right, the fellow USC guy. Yeah, but no, leading up to, to Super Bowl 40, um, only thing I really remember was we're in Detroit. It was snowing every day. Um, there wasn't too many fond memories of that game, but the. You oh, know, I wasn't going to ask you about the game, Lof. I, I was oh, just okay. kind of curious about that that lead up time, you know, the, the media days and, you know, just being in Detroit and the, some of the hype up around the game. You know, it wasn't too crazy for me um, because I had just come off, you know, luckily I just come off two straight national titles with USC. Right. So kind of used to the the media and the, the, the craziness. It felt felt right at home for me. Um, but I'm sure, yeah, it, it probably did seem like a lot, you know, they made it out to be a little more than it was because at the end of the day, it's just a game. As soon as that ball's kicked off, I mean, the halftime being like an hour long was ridiculous. It's like, you play a game, okay, like the sweat's literally dry by the time you're going back out to the field. Like you got to go back out and warm up. But, you know, it was a special year, 2005. Man, I'll never forget it. That was one of the closest teams I've ever been on. You know, love hanging out with everybody there, love playing playing ball with all those guys. It was uh, it was special, special year. It was a special year for Seattle, even though we didn't win it. Um, they kind of, you know, started – the, the idea or the notion like, hey, we're not far off. And even though me and my boys didn't get there, I'm glad that the 13 squad finished the job. Yeah, that's uh, I, I think back to those teams, though. And yeah, I guess in 07, you didn't have Hutch on the offensive line anymore. But man, that 07 team was really good, too. O- 07 on, on roster, on paper, was probably the best um, that we had in terms of statistically, I think. I mean, 05 offensively, yes, but uh, we put together a real defense. And, um, man, it was, you know, Kearney, Julia Peterson, you know, Leroy, Rocky Bernard. I mean, it was, man, that was a lot of fun, you know, taking the field with those guys. Those are some some true warriors out there. Yeah, then to, to lose an overtime to the Bears in the playoffs, and that's the team that ultimately goes to the – to the Super Bowl. I mean, do you think back to that year and just wonder, you know, if things would have gone a little bit differently? I mean, we, you know, we we couldn't get a third and one. If it was third and eight, yeah, we didn't even we didn't even put our helmets on as a defense. We knew we were like, oh, we got this. But third and inches, we're like, all right, well, we better we better get ready for this one. So that was the tale of that that 06, 07 game, but with the Bears, and then Robbie Cool kicked a fifty four yarder or whatever it was into the win. I was. I was literally out there. I was like, oh, we're going to block this. Just get ready to scoop and score, boys. And when it went over our head, I was over. I saw it go over my, my guy, Russell Davis. I think I was pushing him. When I saw it go over his hand. I was like, there's no way that's getting there in the wind. He had probably another three or four yards. Like he probably could have hit that from 57, 58. And I was just like, man, 
That was that was a, that was a tough one to swallow. Yeah, and then they go, and I think who knows what would have happened against those of the Colts? They won that year, right? Yeah, it was that they because the Bears blew through the Saints in the championship game. Yeah, and yeah. then they played the Colts, and I think that was Manning's first Super Bowl win. Yeah. So see, we, we still would have had to go to New Orleans, and they were tough to play in the dome. And that was the whole thing. So if you can get them out of the the Superdome, you know, you're probably going to win that game. And they, they had a tough one up in uh, in Chicago, but um. Yeah, it was that was definitely tough uh, to end the season that way. But it, again, we went to overtime and dude kicked a field goal that like I don't even know if some of the greatest all time great field goal kickers would make that one. I, I'm still just- mad thinking about it. I I had I've had sports hate for the Bears like for years after that, and then you know there was the other Bears loss after the Beastquake game, and so yeah, it's just it's kind of never gone away, even though. The Bears haven't been like an outstanding franchise, but it seems like that's who stopped the Hawks in the playoffs multiple times. Yeah, they they have this. We have the same feeling towards them that Washington has towards us. Right. Because <laughs> remember, Washington, they had all those great teams and it seemed like every year they had to face us to get to you know the next round or, you know, they never got past us um, in 05 and 07. Yeah. And uh, and they beat us pretty handily in 05 out the gate. The first, we played them in the regular season. I was at that game, and no, that was another overtime loss game because yeah. uh, it was the there was the kick to win it right at the end, and it was missed, and then it went into overtime. And then was there yeah. another missed overtime kick, and then they got the win? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, though. the oh, Okay, these are some ball clubs that I can't believe never even got to the Super Bowl. The 05 Jaguars were filthy. Yeah. I mean, they beat the hell out of us, and they beat the hell out of the Steelers, both Super Bowl teams that year. That was year. Brunel quarterback and them that year. It was more Fred Taylor, but yes, Brunel yeah. was <laughs> Jimmy Smith. I mean, they. I mean, their old line. They they were they were squad on that defense. They had uh, Stroud and Henderson in the middle, Aiken Adele, Reggie Hayward, uh, Mike Peterson, Deion Grant. They had they were. Top to bottom, that was like one of the the best rosters I've seen. 06 Cowboys, who we beat because of a missed a box snap. Right. That team, I went to the Pro Bowl that year. There was eleven guys from that team at the Pro Bowl. Eleven. Wow. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can name them all. Well, Demarcus Ware, um, Romo, Tio, Witten, Andre Garone, Leonard Davis, uh, Marion Barber. Greg Ellis, uh, Roy Williams, Pat McBriar, and Nick Falk. Wow. All, all 11 of them. Yeah. Uh, the 07, 06 and 07 Chargers were just insane. Um, and then I'm thinking of one other. But those three squads, and they had like three or four years where the, the talent level was the best I'd seen. And they didn't get to the the big game. That was the most, you know, shocking to me. Because, I mean, I played them. I was like, wow, those guys are talented. Like the best roster I've seen in the NFL. Well, when you look at these two Super Bowl rosters here for Super Bowl 55, which one do you think is going to take it here coming up on Sunday? It's tough. I think top to bottom. I think the Buccaneers probably have a more talented roster. And I know that comes as a surprise. But I think Owen D-line I think the, those are two guys, two groups that can get after it for the Buccaneers. And, um, of course, the they faced, what, week 12, these two teams squared off. 
first half was one game. Second half was a whole different. Uh, Tyreek Hill went off for 200 yards in the first quarter. Uh, even think he got one called back. And Mahomes had like a 390-yard game. It was insane. But the Bucs made adjustments. And um, we didn't really see Kansas City. We're going to get to see. This is why I think they have the, the upper edge here. Kansas you're City you're saying they have the upper edge because they have the best linebacker between the two teams. I know that Levante David, you're going with him. That's that's whoa, why whoa, you're whoa. picking the Bucks. No, I'm going Chiefs. Oh. I say they, they have the advantage. Sorry if I, do not, uh, I said it backwards or whatever. I think the Chiefs have the advantage because they came out and they did what they wanted, right? They're like, okay, this is our game plan. Stop it. And and the Bucs couldn't. Todd Bowles and that defense adjusted. And it got Tom Brady got it to within a one-score game. And when Mahomes got the ball back in four or five minutes, he made two first down game over. They, they couldn't stop the clock. So Brady just didn't have the chance. But now we're going to see how the the Chiefs adjust to what – I mean, they were putting a safety over the top of both Kelsey and Tyreek, so there were no more shots down the field. And we're going to see how they come back at that. And this is where I think the Chiefs have the advantage of playing with such a lead in the beginning, seeing how the, uh, the other team adjusted. And now, you know, the Bucs don't know what plan's coming at them right now. Um, but I think it's going to be a shootout. I really do, as much as I love defenses. Um, and, you know, you got you got the greatest of all time in Tom Brady, and then you got what might be the next greatest in terms of how he's starting off his career. Four years, he's only started three, three AFC title games, the only loss to Tom Brady, uh, a Super Bowl MVP, a Super Bowl win, back to his second. So uh, and the, the craziest thing about Mahomes is they bottled him up. San Fran bottled him up for three-plus quarters last year. And then he went off for 20 points in the fourth or something like that. It was insane. It's crazy. And so, yeah, it, it's hard, you know, to hold on and hold on. Like, you, you're going to have to count on your offense. You need touchdowns. Field goals will not beat, you know, the Chiefs. And, uh, and I think as long as I'm the Chiefs, if we could just limit Tom to field goals and that offense, we, we got this. Mahomes is just going to make the plays when he needs to. So I think it's going to be high scoring. I'm going to go Chiefs 34 and box 31 it's gonna be a shootout i feel like whoever's gonna win it's gonna be the quarterback who has the ball with at least 45 seconds or more left on the clock last because these i can't think of two quarterbacks where you know with the ball in their hands with even just under a minute left that they're going to be able to find a way to to get something happen so if it's within a touchdown or within a field goal they're going to find a way to score with within just that short amount of time yeah, this, I mean, you got one guy that's been 10 times. 48% of his years in the NFL, he's been to this game. And uh, and he's won it six times. And the, the stats that they were reeling off the last uh, couple of weeks about Tom and his appearances and all that, I mean, 14 title games out of 21 years, it's pretty insane. So, I mean, but we're looking at a guy who, and this is one thing, should they win this or not, the Chiefs are going to be tasked with some tough decisions moving forward. As all Super Bowl teams, you got that window of four to five years. We've seen it with all these quarterbacks. Saw it with our guy Russ. Saw it with um, Roethlisberger. You know, because saw it with uh, Tom Brady in his career. They won it several times before the QB got paid big. Well, their QB is getting paid fifty mil plus now, and that's gonna that's gonna tighten up some areas you know, to spend on, on other positions. So, you know, we'll see how they adjust to that uh, going forward. But 
that's the biggest thing. If you can win early with a quarterback, then you know you got you got a good little window to to, to repeat and continue to do it, as we've seen with a lot of teams. I mean, Brady is the exception where he just continues to win. And yeah, he seems to take less than, you know, than he really is worth as a quarterback. You know, if he wanted to be the top paid dude every single year, then he should be. You know, I went back and looked at some of your games because I was curious if you ever faced off against Brady. But it was in 2008 where the Hawks played the Patriots and Brady was injured that year. So it's kind of crazy. You never had the chance to go face off against him. Yeah, him. I did want an interview earlier this year. Him and Don McNabb. And I've never faced those two. Donovan was hurt in 05 and 07. And then I got hurt in 08. And then in 08, Brady hurt was hurt when they came here. And I think I squared off with my boy, Matt Castle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Old Trojan. Well, the crazy thing is, so Brady came into the NFL when you were still in high school. Yeah. My senior year of high school. Yeah. And he's still playing. So I, what, what's more impressive to take this full circle? What's more impressive? Brady's still playing quarterback from when he was drafted in what 2000 to uh, versus Thomas Davis playing linebacker from your class in 2005. Thomas Davis, no doubt. Look, yeah, Tom's great. I'm more look, love Tom Brady because it's impressive what he's doing. Drew Bledsoe was my quarterback. Do you remember Drew Bledsoe? Oh, that yeah. was my yeah. growing up. <laughs> Um, but Thomas Davis, man, what was it, 17, 16 years playing linebacker and just over and over hitting people? Like, you could probably go a couple seasons where Tom didn't get touched, especially recently, man. You can't touch a QB these days, especially not Tom. Okay, good. I'm glad we I, I'm glad we got this settled. Now, for people who can't see, you're you're rocking your zone in CBD shirt. Uh how how's that business been going for you? It's good, man. Um, so CBD, I know a lot of people heard a lot about it. Um and it's just some supplements and uh, products that have changed my life since leaving the NFL. I mean, after, you know, my career was cut so short because of injuries, as, as we, you know, we've mentioned. Uh, in the six years, I had close to like nine or 10 surgeries. And there's probably three, three or four concussions every year, you know, so 15 plus maybe uh, over the span of my career. And um, the healing properties of CBD have really brought me back to my best health. I mean, I feel... I look and feel better than I did at 28, which is, you know, insane because I was still playing when I was 28. But um, from a mental, physical and emotional, you know, health, I've never been better. And so with that, I as, as I came back to life, I started, you know, buying CBD and just giving out to friends for my first three years, a year before prior to starting Zone In. And I was just giving out and I was like kind of becoming like a CBD life coach <laughs> and just watching Man, watching people lose 40 pounds like I did, um, you know, because they're not they're dealing with stress head on instead of stress eating or, you know, just just doing things that are not good for them. And, you know, because we are all human, even though you played in the NFL doesn't mean you're not human. And so there's a lot of things in terms of um, how it helps you cope with stress, because you can zone in and really deal with what's in front of you. You're not you know, you're not worried about stuff that you can't you can't control. And uh, but from you know an appetite, mood, stress uh, regulating, uh, pain perception and pain tolerance returning to uh, when you're young, when you fall down, you just get up and go again. You know you don't think about it. You know, four years ago before I started taking this, man, I fell down. I just laid there. <laughs> I was like, man, someone help me up. <laughs> but um, it's incredible what this um, what this what these products do and and how they restore us to our mind body connection and you know just really 
revealing what's important to us in the moment and just not dealing with things that we can't control. It's there's so many, you know, testimonials I've had from the last few years in, in, in starting this company about how it's changing people's lives for the better. And, uh, not just, you know, from the sleep or inflammation standpoint, it's, it's incredible. And so I'm blessed to, to do that. We're coming out with a new product. It's an energy mix. Um, cause most people, they know CBD, oh, well, it helps you sleep and it's for anxiety. It's, it does help with those things. Well, there's a couple of things that I, I know that it's good for because, oh, well, and so I'm curious what, like, what's your go-to as far as milligrams per dose? Because that's, I think that's one of the things that I know that I struggle with. So the, the misconception, if you, the people are taking, because they say it's sleep and it's anxiety, see people are taking high doses and in very large doses. When you go north of like 60, 70 milligrams, it will have a sedative effect. You know, it'll, it'll bring you down a little bit. If that's what you're looking for, great. And, you know, more power to you. But in 15 milligrams, 15, 25, 30, it'll give you mental clarity aspect. It'll give you just calm and focus, which is why we call it zone in. And, um, you know, on top of all the physical, you know, like I said, the pain tolerance, turn it back to like, you, you go from like, ah, you know, I want to go out there and play basketball. I want to go out there and play with my kids, but I know I'm going to be hurting, you know, tonight and tomorrow morning, especially it's like gone. Like, I can't believe it. You know, I used to have trouble like just getting out of bed, you know, in the morning because, you know, you're lying dormant for, you know, eight, seven, seven, eight hours. Now all of a sudden I used to like crawl to the edge of the bed, let my feet dangle and let the blood rush to them. And then I would like toddler, like furniture walk, you know, the dresser all the way to the bathroom just to wake up in the morning. And then I just started knowing after a week of taking this and once it gets in your system and, you know, it, it acts on your receptors, on your pain receptors and everything, you just, you just go, you just move. And um, so that's what I was saying, you know, you're more in the moment, hence zone in. And um, it's just, uh, it's helping a lot of people with a lot of things that they, you know, the human has to deal with. So, well, yes. And also it, it's just helped me get back to moving again, you yeah. know, um, post-career. I mean, the knee surgeries were the worst torn ligament in the ankle, um, four or five knee surgeries. You know, you just like, okay, I'll go out there and run. I tried to get back into the workout, try to use all those supplements they say are good for you, but nothing took the pain away. And like, if you're constantly dealing with the pain, you're not in the moment. And movement is our best medication. I'll say that everybody, like, and this is just something that's helped me get back to moving and helped me feel like myself, my best self. Um, and I'm just, man, I'm proud of what we're doing over here. And um, for, I owe the rest of my life to CBD and, and the hemp plant. And so I'm always going to be an advocate on behalf of it. So where do people go if they want to check it out and, and maybe even uh, put in an order? Yeah, zoneincb.com. You can you can learn more. Um, I think it's the most important thing is if you're gonna, you know, because I believe in you know picking you know of your choosing, man. You know, freedom of choice. So I'm not saying you have to take ours, but there should be some things on the website, you know, certificate of analysis to ensure that what's in the product is in the product, the amount of milligrams, as you said, but also the things that shouldn't be in there are not you know, pesticides, residual solvents, heavy metals, things that are toxic to, to our systems. And um, so with all that, I mean, those are things you want to, they have to be present in any CBD company you choose. Make sure that's there. Make sure that they've done their due diligence and you do yours too. But yeah, zoneincbd.com, you can learn more. 
You can join us on Instagram, uh, you know, and then also um, we got a new product coming out. It's an energy powder with an immune boost. And man, I don't, the best way to sum up how this thing makes me feel is like Bradley Cooper in Limitless when I go do my meetings. And then in the gym, it makes me feel like Ronnie Coleman. Nice. <laughs> He's Lofa Tatupu of Zone In CBD, former Seahawks linebacker. Lofa, appreciate you coming back on. It, oh, my man, I appreciate you. And if you're in the Seattle area, uh, we're available on all the shelves at all 67 Bartell drugstores. So, yeah. My man, I love talking ball with you. I'll come back anytime you want, man. So just let me know. Hey, I'll have you anytime. Let's do this. Seahawks legend, Lofa Tatupu. And there you go. Maybe we'll be getting to hear more from him throughout this offseason coming on the show. Man, I love that interview. Be sure and check out zoneincbd.com. And after you have a chance to listen to this and you see the article for the episode up at fieldgoals.com, leave a comment or even leave a question that I should ask Lofa if I get a chance to get him back on later this offseason. And I'll be sure and save those for the next interview. You can also head on over to getintheflock.com for $12 for the whole year. You can get in on bonus clips from this show, as well as some bonus material from the Seahawkers podcast, extra stuff from Clinton Bonner of three in three out. We might be doing some stuff here through the off season. So if you need more Seahawks talk, there's extra stuff up there for you to get you through the off season. And I am working on some more interviews that I'm fired up about. So be sure you are subscribed to this show, sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts. A lot more to talk about throughout the offseason, so stay tuned, and until next time, go Hawks!